0: It's good to be in the chapel uh, with the bridge service. I know that uh, some people are comfortable being in here, and some would maybe like a few more weeks. But um, the good news is we've we've done some surveys, and we have a lot of folks uh, at our church that are vaccinated, and um, we're going to keep the mask for a little while. But let's give the bridge band a round of applause. They sound <laughs> great in the new space. <clears throat> We even have a space over here by the window for the little folks, so uh, that, that's good. And their and their parents. I want to thank uh, those of you who have made a commitment last week to support Woodmont. We're still doing the follow-up of our uh, campaign, so it's not too late for that. We haven't done that in two years, and it's been quite uh, a last year. So um, thank you uh, for your for your generosity there. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Loving God, open our hearts and minds. Uh, speak to us through our text this morning, and may the words of my mouth and the, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I also want to say a welcome to those who are uh, with us on uh live stream. We're glad to, uh, to have you with us as well. Today we're starting a, a brand new sermon series. It's going to go through the month of May. That's called family dynamics, navigating life's most important relationships. And in this series, We're going to talk about a number of different topics, actually a lot of topics, including love and marriage and relationships and forgiveness and raising children with values, giving our best to the people in life who deserve our best. Uh, You've heard me say repeatedly in recent weeks that the last 13 months, I don't have to tell you this, the last 13 months have been very, very difficult on everybody, but especially on families. Uh, With many kids being out of school for a really long time, with parents working from home, with people being stressed out on edge, with the anxiety around uh, COVID and and the protocols, Uh, it's been a lot uh, for families to deal with. It's been a whole lot. And so what I've heard over and over again from many different people, different ages, different uh, walks of life is, I'm tired. (laughs) Uh, I'm worn out. I feel like I've been through a lot and I can tell you from some of the pastoral counseling that I've done is that this has put incredible stress on marriages, on parents, on families, uh, and how could it not? And so I think that everybody could use some biblical reminders of how we are supposed to treat the people in our lives that we say we love the most. And that also includes our church family. If you're like, well, Clay, I'm not married. Uh, I'm not dating anybody. I don't have kids. Guess what? As a a church, we're also a family. And these principles apply to how we treat each other as well. By the way, I said this at the last service with my wife sitting right there. I am not going to stand up here this morning uh, or sit up here and tell you that I've got this all figured out. You can go talk to Megan and find out that I don't have this all figured out, that I have all the answers. I wrestle with these challenges in my own life as a husband, as a father, but I am convinced that the past year has taken such a toll that we could all use a little guidance and a little encouragement on this topic. We're going to base this sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians specifically the second half of Ephesians. And so uh, here's a quick snapshot of Ephesians. It was written by Paul when he was in prison, just like Philippians, uh, sometime around 60 or 62 AD. Paul is writing this letter to encourage the people of the church at Ephesus to let their relationship with Christ impact every single aspect of their lives. He's encouraging them to grow and mature in the faith, a process that many uh, uh, fancy people call sanctification. Okay, you learned something in church today. Sanctification. He reminds them that Christ has given them the tools to experience fullness of life and they must draw on those tools. And in the second half of the letter, which is the part that I really wanna focus on, he, he takes this and he applies it specifically to marriage and family life. So Paul says this in chapter four, putting away all falsehood, Let us, all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. In verse 29, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is beneficial for building up as there is need. Verse 31, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Some of you have heard me say over the years, and I do believe this, um, that the breakdown of the family on all kinds of levels uh, is often what leads to many of the problems that we have in, in our society. Not all the time, but, but so many of the issues that we face as a culture, things like education, Things like down the road, high percentages of incarceration, addiction, substance abuse, fear, anxiety. That can sometimes and oftentimes can be traced back to the breakdown of the family. And so psychologists will tell all of us that many of the issues that we deal with in life... Many of the issues stem back to our childhood, perhaps even before we even knew what was going on. So what the church has to do, I believe, is encourage healthy marriages, relationships, and family life. And over the past year with the pandemic and everything that's been going on, we have not been able to do that to the same degree that we usually like to do that. We've not been able to gather together as much and have as many children's programs and have as many parenting speakers. And so what's happened is I, I see a lot of stress and a lot of drama and a lot of strained and broken relationships. And, and what else has been going on is there's a lot of self-medicating, over-medicating. Uh, a lot of people that have kind of crossed that line on what's too much alcohol or crossed that line on, man, I, these pills just kind of help me feel good. I'm gonna take them until things get better. We've seen a lot of that kind of get out of hand during this time. Addiction has really soared during this period. So today I want to start with some basic topics. And the first one that I want to start with is this concept of love. Love is at the root of everything we do as Christians. Love should be at the root of everything we do in our families, right? So, So everybody that I know who is a human being wants to give love and receive love in return. That's the way God has designed us. That's what Jesus says is most important in our lives. So Paul says this, love is patient and love is kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and it endures all things. Love never ends. Then in 1 John, we find these words. We should love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. We live in a culture where it's really easy to fall in love, but it's much more difficult to stay in love. You know, falling in love requires a pulse. Told you that before, right? But staying in love requires a plan. And I think that that's true. Gary Chapman wrote that famous book called The Five Love Languages, and he said there are five basic ways that we communicate with the people that we love. The first one is uh, quality time. The second one is physical touch. Third one is words of affirmation. The fourth one is acts of service. And the fifth one is gifts, giving presents to the people that we love. And the entire goal, Chapman says, is don't just speak your love language. Learn to speak the love language of your spouse or your significant other or your family member because that is what will resonate with them and will speak to them. Love is better understood as a verb rather than a noun. We fall in love, noun, but to stay in love, we must learn to love, verb. We must be intentional and we must put our love into action. Talk is cheap if it's not backed up with action. So love must be proactive and not reactive. Love must be intentional. And we spend our entire lives trying to figure out what Jesus said when he said, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Next, let's talk about marriage. Uh, I have a lot of respect for a guy named Andy Stanley. I listened to his messages, but Andy over the years has done a lot of sermon series and talks on the subject of marriage and they're really good. They're worth, you can find them on, on YouTube or on North points uh, uh, of website. But here's what Andy says about marriage and, and, and relationships. He said, when we meet somebody and we start dating and then we get serious and then we get engaged, we have a big box of desires and dreams and wishes that we bring into the relationship. We have ideas about the way life is going to be. We desire to be treated a certain way. We desire to one day live in a certain type of house and drive a certain car. We desire to have a certain number of kids. We desire to do or not do certain chores around the house, right? Uh, We desire to be loved and respected and admired and all these other things. We have this perfect picture of how life is going to be. So then we get married. And we march down the aisle at Woodmont or some other place and automatically, without us even knowing it, we turn all of those desires and wishes into expectations. This is what I expect from you. This is what I expect you to do or to say or to be. And we don't even know that we do this. We do it subconsciously. And the the problem is we don't get those expectations met or we don't get all of them met. And so every marriage, every relationship has to deal with disappointment. It's just, it's true. If you're married, you know that. And one of the differences between relationships that make it and relationships that don't is how do you process that disappointment? And, and the problem that arises in many marriages, at least as I've seen, is this focus on I. I want this. I want that. Focus on me. I need this. Cater to my needs, my wants. And if you end up with two people in a relationship that are both focused on I, that doesn't work out very well. Because marriage and family life and and relationships, it's always been a team sport. It's something that we do together. There's give and take. There's compromise. Um, And so it can't all be about me and I and what I want. Now, I've followed the research over the years of a guy named John Gottman. He teaches at the University of Washington. He wrote this New York Times bestseller book called seven principles for making marriage work. I'm going to mention these. I'm not going to unpack them, but I think they're very good. The first one he says is when it comes to your marriage or your relationship, enhance your love map. Second, he said, nurture fondness and admiration, build each other up. Third, turn towards each other. When times get tough, when you go through hard, hard times, don't turn away from each other, turn towards each other. Fourth, he said, let your partner influence you. Fifth, solve your solvable problems. We all have different problems in life. Some are solvable and some are what he calls perpetual. Solvable problems should be solved. Perpetual problems are tied to our personalities. They're usually not going to go away. Number six, overcome gridlock. And the seventh is create shared meaning. Find things in life to do with your spouse or your significant other that you enjoy and that create shared meaning. So whether you are married or in a relationship, you will benefit from paying attention to these seven principles of Gottman. Next topic, family. This is a fun one. Um, When I first came to Nashville, 14 years, almost 14 years ago, I was single, uh, lived in the parsonage. Told y'all last week I had a bunch of my meals at the corner pub down the street because I didn't want to cook. Now I'm married. Megan, I have three kids, 10, nine, and four. Life is very different. (laughs) There are a lot of moving parts in, in our lives. You've heard me say before that marriage is one of the greatest gifts that life can bring. And family is one of the greatest gifts that life can bring. But it is also one of the most stressful aspects of our lives. There's no such thing as a normal family. It does not exist. Every family has some form of dysfunction or drama. And if you think your family is the only one that's dysfunctional, you're wrong. You know, people will come to me, they'll come to Andrew, Donovan and say, you're not going to guess what happened to my family this week. And we're like, try us. We've heard it all. There is no such thing as a normal family. Every family has issues. Every family have, have, have struggles. Young parents who are raising children have a huge challenge before them. We're going to talk about this more next week. But working and making a living and raising kids and having a social life and keeping your marriage healthy, that is anything but easy. And I have incredible respect. For single parents, I have a lot of friends that are single parents, and for whatever reason, their relationship didn't work out, they lost their spouse, and they're trying to raise their kids on their own. And guess what? I believe that we should do everything in our power to reach out to them and to help them and to encourage them because they're having to, uh, especially if they don't have parents that live in town, juggle all of that on their own. And so I think that's where the church has a huge role to play, and we have a huge role to play to help people who are having to do this on their own, because a lot of us have no idea what that's like, and I have a lot of respect for people that are doing that on their own. The best gift that parents can give their children, if they're married, is a healthy relationship with their spouse. But sometimes people become so focused on their children and all the things that go along with being a parent that they don't... Uh, pay attention to their spouse. They don't pay attention to their to their their partner. And, and, and I believe that, that this is a mistake because a lot of times it becomes all about the kids and then the parents haven't carved out any time for themselves. And, uh, and that is real. I want to close this morning with some basic lessons from Paul in Ephesians. And I'm going to encourage you to keep reading this epistle in the coming weeks. But these are some things that Paul says to the church at Ephesus that I think we can incorporate into our families, our marriages, our relationships, our church family. The first one is this. Try not to get angry and don't let the sun go down on your anger, Paul says. Anytime we are acting out of anger, we will say things that we simply can't take back. Paul tells us to build each other up, compliment each other, don't tear each other down. John Gottman, the guy I mentioned earlier, has four things you gotta avoid in any relationship criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. A lot of the marriages that end, they have contempt, which is this form of anger and resentment over things that have not been dealt with or unpacked. And it builds and it grows over time. Second lesson from Paul be kind to one another. Sounds simple, right? But how many times are we not kind? to the people that we say we love the most. We give leftover crumbs to the people that deserve our best. And then we give our best to people we don't even know as we're trying to impress them. Kindness goes a long way in any relationship, in any family, in any church family, by the way. Christians who are not kind give the faith a bad name. People see that and they're like, why would I want to be a part of that religion? Third, learn to forgive and then let things go. Forgiveness is essential because as human beings, we all screw up. We all say and do things that we regret and that we'd like to take back. And so holding on to those things uh, forever and ever is a recipe for disaster. So address the issues and then let them go. Last week on Commitment Sunday, I talked about how we should focus on the present and the future. We can't change the past. We can learn from the past, but we can't change it. And so bringing up something from the past that your spouse did or a family member did and just beating them over the head with that is not fair. You got to learn to forgive and then let it go. So we should learn phrases like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Um, That's the key to repairing things and then letting it go. The final lesson from Paul that I'm going to share with you this morning in this first uh, message is this. He says, live with humility, gentleness, and patience, and that will in turn lead to peace. Let me say that again. Live with humility, gentleness, and patience, which will then lead to peace. I don't know about you, but over this past year, I have become very impatient I sat for three and a half hours yesterday at a baseball field waiting on a tow truck to come tow my car. I didn't do well in that situation. Very impatient. Uh, I need more patience. Uh, I want things to happen. I want them to happen now, but we have to learn to be patient. We've all been humbled over the past 13 months. Our state of mind is essential to our spiritual well-being. How we process things and then react is very important when it comes to our relationships. Paul talks about maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so the question is how often do we experience Christ's peace and how often do we spread that peace around? Anxiety is contagious, but so is peace. We're going to keep talking about these topics in the coming weeks and Usually, Youth Sunday is today. We've moved Youth Sunday back two weeks, so we're going to get to hear from our, our our youth and our our kids right in the middle of this, which will be very fitting. Because guess what? They have some thoughts of their own, and we need to listen to them. Uh, but that'll be the day, the week after Mother's Day. But I'm encouraging you to read Ephesians, reflect on these words, and then think. How can I apply this to my situation, whatever it is, whether you're married, whether you're dating somebody, whether you're a single parent, whether you're having a hard uh, time with your extended family or your in-laws, because we can gain so much wisdom from this letter, and I think that we should do it. Amen.